aspects of transition. We're going to look generally at, at what transition is. We're going to look at transition in our personal lives. We are always transitioning. The one thing about the change is uh, change is a constant in our lives. Change is a constant. That doesn't mean that uh, you change constantly, but change is a constant. When, when you accept that change is inevitable, and it is, then you'll be much more comfortable with it. But we tend to be people who like ruts. I am a rut person. Now, maybe nobody else is, but I am. I am a rut person. I like it this way because this is the way I've always done it. Don't ask me to change it. I'm comfortable here. Some of you laugh because that's you, right? But the thing is, if we always do things the way we've done them, we'll never get to where we need to be. And that requires change. And that's why sometimes it's uncomfortable. Uh, we'll also look at change in the Old and New Testament, some different examples of that. And then we'll talk specifically about our church. What does transition mean here? What does it mean for me? You know, I'm used to doing things this way. You know, what does it mean to me? You know, I remember the first time Pastor Jordan asked me to go to a Love is Red conference up in Canton, Ohio. What are you laughing about, Abby Stone Cipher? Is that funny to you? So I'm, uh, so I'm up here, and I'm sitting down, and I leaned over to my wife because Jenny went with me, and I said, hey, listen, man, I'm by far the oldest dude in here, <laughs> like seriously by far. And I, I'm like, nobody, and I've mentioned this before because people have asked me, like, nobody else in here has on Dr. Scholl's walking shoes, <laughs> and I can guarantee, and I can guarantee there's not a soul with pleated jeans on. I'm the only <laughs> one. I'm the only one. And I was sitting there, and while I was sitting there, I said, God, why am I here in my head? You know, and we'll talk about this a little later, but later on I saw why, and I understood why, and I realized, hey, this is exactly where I needed to be and what I needed to be doing. You know, I went with all the young guys recently out to the Seeds Conference in Tulsa. You guys remember that? Yeah? And I, I asked the same question, hey, I'm old enough to be these dudes' dad or granddad. Why am I going? <laughs> other, other than I'm the guy that drove everybody, why am I going? <laughs> but as I was there, I began to realize, okay, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. And we're going to talk about that. Because, you know, transition does. It creates a lot of questions for people. And it's important to have those questions answered. Amen? So let's do this. Let's start out. Well, actually, I'm going to read this verse. And why don't you turn to Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 8 through 10. And we'll get started there. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read a verse before we get there. And while you're turning, I'm going to pray. Um, Father, thank you for letting me handle your word this morning. What a, what a cool thing that is. We just thank you. I thank you for your anointing, for the angels that help, for the, the gift. And Holy Spirit, sir, as always, we invite you to come. We have notes, but we know it's not our service. It's your service. Help us to minister and do and say what you would have us do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so that verse I mentioned out of Isaiah, it reads... And I'm going to read this out of the um, message paraphrase. Of course, and we've read it before. He says, I'll do a new thing. Will you not know it? So on and so forth. But here in the message, I like what it says. He says, be alert, be present. It's hard to transition if you're never present. It's hard to transition. If you're never present. And present just doesn't mean I'm here. It means I'm, I'm actually here. How many of you wives have ever spoken to your husband and you can tell he is not here? He's gone. I might be the only one. But you look at him and you're talking and you're like, there's, there's, there's nobody home. This dude, he's gone. He's thinking about something else. He's doing somewhere else. He is somewhere else. He's not present. So you can be physically present, but you're not really present. So God's saying here through Isaiah, he said, hey, be present. He's like, be here. 
be here. And then he says, I'm about to do something brand new. See, if you're not here, and then when something brand new happens, you're shocked by it. But if you've been present the whole time, it's not shocking. It's bursting out, don't you see it? Because some people won't see it. The great thing, of course, we had that prophecy of our church, we're like the tribe of Issachar. And the Bible says about the tribe of Issachar, people of that tribe, they understood times and seasons. They knew, hey, it's time for a change. Hey, it's time to do something new. Hey, it's time. Well, praise God, we're a church like that. And it continues, and it says, there it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. Now, there are, 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 are things that we would like to get into spiritually as people. We'd like to get into in the natural. We'd like to get into financially. We'd like to get into in a number of different areas. And we see it out there, but between here and there is this wilderness. I don't see the path to get there. Well, what do you need? You need a new thing. You need a new thing, because if we just keep doing what we've always done, then we can always see it, but we don't know how to get to it. There's no path through this wilderness. Or I'm in a dry place. Things just seem dry. My prayer life seems dry. My study time seems dry. My marriage seems dry. I seem dry. What do I need? I need a new thing. What's he say? I'll do a new thing. What's he say? He's going, I'm going to make a river in a desert. What's river in a desert do? It fertilizes everything around it. That's why Egypt was so prosperous. You know, right in the middle of that desert, they're prospering wild. They've got the Nile River. And all along that thing, it was, it was they, well, it was everything they needed. You know, water was better than money because water brought you money sort of thing in that time in history. So we can see here, there, we can be in a wilderness or we can see what we want, but we don't know how do I get there. I'm, I've been doing the things I've always been doing, but it's still out there. It's not here. What do I need to do? I need to do a new thing. I need to do something different. Amen. And different isn't always fun, but different is important. Hear this verse in Ecclesiastes that I mentioned, chapter 7, verse 8. And I'm going to read out of the Good News Bible. It says, the end of something is better than its beginning. The end is better than the beginning. Beginning can be good, but the end will be better. My best days are ahead of me. You know, you hear people they'll talk about high school. Those are my glory days. Boy, that's sad. Oh, my land, you kidding me? Like land sharks and all that sort of stuff. The 80s was serious hair. Miss Pam laughs because she remembers. Miss Pam, you were probably a land shark, weren't you? What I mean by land shark, back in the 80s, they fixed her so, her so high it's like a dorsal fin of a shark. So we call them land sharks. Actually, I did that too. I had a lot of hair. Uh, you guys are shocked by that, but I actually did. Jill Knight saw my picture. Didn't have a lot of hair. It's impressive. Wasn't it nice? It's really manageable. I had a great coat. It's beautiful. So the end of something is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. Keep your temper under control. It is foolish to harbor a grudge. Never ask, oh, why were things so much better in the old days? It's not an intelligent question. Let me read that again. It says, never ask, oh, why were things so much better in the old days? It's not an intelligent question. Why is it not an intelligent question? Because we just read Isaiah. I'll do a new thing. And I'll get you where you've never been. So, and, and that's what the, the Hebrew children did. You remember when they got, they got out of slavery and they got into the wilderness? It was a time of transition and change. And they said, we wish we were slaves again. Really? Really? You want to go back there to where you were when there's something so much better just over the horizon? You're allowing discomfort to keep you away from what you've always wanted? I mean, we do. We've read that and we're like, are you serious? But we do the same things. 
We're like, do I really have to do that? Hey, listen, listen. If you've ever been on a diet, you know change is hard. If you've ever had a kid, you know change is hard. Why? Because, and we're constantly changing. Change or transition just means moving from one place to another place. That's all it means. And and we're we're told in Scripture that that's something we should always be doing. We're supposed to be dying daily. We're supposed to be crucifying our flesh. We're supposed to be growing from faith to faith and glory to glory and strength to strength. So change isn't something foreign to us. And in our personal lives, change isn't foreign to us. I remember I was thinking, when when I was thinking about this message, I remember back... um, in the early 90s, I guess I was 22 and I got my first job out of college. I was going to be a school teacher in Frankfort, Kentucky. So I, so I drove down to Frankfort and I got me a newspaper. And, and I'd never been to Frankfort in my life. And I got me a newspaper and I went to the Pizza Hut and I sat down and I started circling apartments for sale. Because there wasn't an internet. And then I'd have to go to a payphone and get directions because there wasn't a Google, Google Maps. And, and, and again, I had to go to a pay phone because there were no cell phones, unless you want to carry around this cinder block looking thing, and I wasn't <laughs> interested in doing that. So I had to do, and listen, when I was looking for a home back then, I wasn't looking for a four-bedroom, three-bath home. I was looking for a one-bedroom apartment that was dirt cheap, but not dirty. That's what I want. That's what I was looking for. Now, if I now 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 we're in the process of buying a house and moving, but if I did that today, there would be something wrong with that. If I came home and say, "Honey, I bought a house. It's a one bedroom. It's beautiful and it's really cheap." She'd be like, "We have three kids. Where exactly are they going to sleep?" Because she, she'd say that because they're not going to sleep in my bed. <laughs> of course, I love you, children. You can sleep with me, but it's your mom. That's. <laughs> you now listen there was nothing wrong when i did that back then but doing that today you'd think something isn't right there do you know when i first bought my uh, when i bought my first car in my 20s i wasn't looking for a dodge caravan i mean i wasn't i wasn't sitting around as a 20 year old thinking i cannot wait <laughs> I cannot wait to get that Dodge Caravan, and I'm going to look for one with that sweet built-in child seat, because, man, I will be, I will, I will be the talk of the youth group if I do that. I will be bomb. I wasn't thinking that. Why? I wasn't at that place in my life. Didn't have a wife, didn't have kids, didn't have any of that. And that was fine at that time. But if we got rid of all of our vehicles and I come home to Jenny and say, hey, honey, look, I got a new two-seater. Now, there's nothing wrong with a two-seater if you also have other vehicles to transport your kids. But if that's all you've got, you know, me and Jenny jump in and there are the kids. Can we go with you? No, no room. Sorry. (laughs) Fend for yourself. There's hot dogs in the fridge, I'm sure. Warm them up and go. See, so we're always, if, if, if you have children, everything changed. Is it always easy? No. No, it's not. Olivia was probably, would you say she's our most difficult child? <laughs> Olivia's probably our most difficult child. Now, I didn't mean presently. I just meant she was at one time our most difficult child. Of course, that, yeah, as a baby, as a baby. Because she had to be held a certain way. She had to be walked a certain way. Everything had to be just so. Now, I don't know. Of course, we were first-time parents. So as first-time parents, you're like, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? You know, you get to your second and third, you toss them in the crib. They're on their belly. They'll be all right. Because <laughs> tomorrow they'll tell you to put them on their belly, and then they'll put them on their back. And then, you know, after all, it's, it's all right. Oh, my goodness, they ate crayons. It'll be all right. It'll come right out. <laughs> be, 
It'll be colorful. We're pooping rainbows. Everybody will be excited. You know. We constantly change. Life is a constant transition. It's one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Listen, if, if, if I got a new job and I did it the old way, you guys would be like, what's wrong with you? If I called and said, hey, could I go directions to your apartment? Well, let me just give you the address. You can Google, Google map it. Oh, no, no, no. I'd like to write them home, write them down. Let me make a note of that. Or I grab, uh, Pastor Donna's looking at me. Pastor Donna, I know this isn't for everybody, but... This is for the people who've gone past flip phones. That's what this is for. <laughs> now, again, there's nothing wrong with it, but you think, hey, there is an easier way. There's a more productive way to do that. Amen? So we, we, when we look at our lives, we see that we change. And, and when you look at the Bible, you see that, that there's constant change. In the Old Testament, one of the biggest debates that the Jews used to have was concerning the tabernacle. You had the tabernacle of Moses, and the tabernacle of Moses is where they kept the thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Any of you guys see that? Now, you may be like, what in the world is the Ark of the Covenant? You see that Indiana Jones movie, the gold thing, and the guy's face is melted and stuff like that, you know, a real good Christian movie. That's the, that's the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was in the Old Testament to where God's presence was. So there was a great deal of power that surrounded it. And, and God told Moses, hey, I want you to build a place to keep that. Because I love my people, I want to be around my people, so put that ark in this building, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. So they had this outer court, and then they had this inner court, and then they had this place called the Holy of Holies, where they kept that ark of the covenant. And you couldn't just go in or you die. So, you know, you wanted to pay attention to how you went in, what you did, that sort of thing. Well, between the inner court, or this one room, and the Holy of Holies, where the ark of the covenant was, there was this big, thick veil. A big piece of fabric like 18 inches thick. It's like mega big and mega heavy. And the Jews would always debate, when technically am I in the Holy of Holies? Is it when I start to go through the veil? Is it when I'm 75% in? Is it when I'm my toes in the Holy of Holies? Or is it when I'm all the way in the Holy of Holies? When am I in the Holy of Holies? And they debated this on and on and on and on and on. And they called it the place of transition. But it's translated the place of confusion. Because there's always, always, always going to be opportunity for greater influence, or greater, excuse me, for greater confusion when you're going to more glory. Always. There can always be great confusion or opportunities for confusion when you're moving into a place of greater glory. They didn't know. They're like, is it here? Is it here? What do I do? How do I do it? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? And all of those questions arose when they were going from a place into the presence of God where they're going to be operating in a higher level of God's power. And they're going to see greater fruit concerning God and all that sort of thing. But it's interesting. They called it a place of transition, but it's translated a place of confusion so when change takes place people are oftentimes confused well, well, well why well how come well this is different i don't know if i like this we've all been there it's like i said i said at lovers red and thought dear lord why am i here this is different it's new it's a challenge but it was a good thing coming out on the other side in the New Testament, what do we see him saying about Jesus all the time? We've never seen it like this before. We've seen strange things today. 
He teaches as a person who has great authority. He doesn't teach like the scribes. Jesus cast out demons. Is this a new doctrine? What happened? We were transitioning into the new covenant from the old covenant, and people are uncomfortable with it. Who were the people that gave Jesus the most trouble? The people who liked the way it used to be. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Jesus didn't have any trouble with prostitutes or tax collectors or thieves or anybody like that. He didn't have any trouble with those. The people he had trouble with were people who said, we like it the way it was. We don't like this change. But I'm, I'm thankful I don't live in the Old Covenant. Because living in the Old Testament had so many things you had to do and they never got to enjoy what we get to enjoy today. I mean, the Bible says, listen, the person who lived under the old covenant, the greatest of the people who lived under the old covenant are in no way, shape, or form enjoying anything that the lowest person in this new covenant is enjoying or the New Testament. So you can be the best of the best in the old covenant, but you're nothing near what we enjoy today. And those people are like, but we don't like this. You healed somebody on the Sabbath. You can't do that. Well, he just did it. He just did it. Amen? So we see change is a constant in our personal lives. Listen, who was I talking to? I think it was a Pastor Sandy's, and we were talking, and, 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 and I got off talking about marriage, I think. And um, Well, actually, I got off talking about young people looking for somebody to marry and all that sort of stuff, and they get carried away and say, oh, he has great abs. Well, sweetheart, listen, that's great, but one day they're going to be covered over. You know, with, with, a, with a layer of, you know, fat that's not the anointing. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, I hope, I hope you love his abs because soon they're going to be a distant memory. I hope you can remember them because, you know, every, hey, we transition. We do, we do transition. I'm just saying. We do transition. <laughs> so. So what does this mean for us, though? And, and this is the part I really want to focus on. And listen, we all understand change happens and transition happens. But what's that mean for us? Well, listen, uh, the Bible tells us consistently God doesn't change, and he doesn't. God is unchangeable. But just because God is unchangeable, it doesn't mean that things we do for him never change. Some people think, well, God never changes, so why are we changing how we do things? Well, because the church is about the precious fruit of the earth. James tells us, hey, we're seeking the lost. We're seeking to help introduce people to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking to find ways to get people involved in church, plugged in in church, and see them have life transformation. How does that happen? How does that take place? Well, society today is greatly different than it was a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago. 500 years ago. You know, back in the day, they used to go to ball games, baseball games, in three-piece suits. How many of you wore a three-piece suit to the last ball game you went to? You're evil. <laughs> well, that, there's nothing wrong with that. Things change. Things happen. Culture changes. Society changes. The way that we ministered today, there were people for a number of years, they didn't think preachers should be on the radio. Then they didn't think they should be on television. Now they don't think they should be on social media. Why? Because it's something that changed. What they do, they've done is they've mistaken the message for the method. And the word talks about that. And Mark, it says, listen, you've made your traditions so strong. You've made God's word of no effect. 
Well, and the tradition is just what we hand down from generation to generation to generation. So people say, well, this is just the way we've always done it. Well, yeah, but it's, it's hindering the ability of the word to help people. Amen? You know, Church on the Rock has been here for 30 years. We've gotten used to doing things a certain way for 30 years. And there's nothing wrong. Listen, when the seasons change, you change clothes, I hope. You do. If, if, if I came in today dressed like it's winter outside, you'd think that's odd. But when you dress that way in the winter, there's nothing wrong with it. Why? It was due and it was suited for that particular season. But when seasons change, we change. And when seasons and the things of the Spirit change, we need to make change also. And because we're supposed to be focusing on the precious fruit of the earth, God's going to give us new ways to reach the precious fruit of the earth. When I come up in here in a church uh, full of people who've been in church for years, and I say sanctification, many of you know what that means. Lost person don't have a clue what that means. Redemption, righteousness. Don't have any idea. The, the, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. What, what is all that? You know, there's a term in sociology called ethnocentrism. It just means I judge things based on what I know. So we think, well, well, why aren't you teaching this or why aren't you teaching that? Well, because there are other people who don't know any of that. They don't know any of that. And, you know, for me, as I was thinking about this, and then I went out to the seeds conference with the guys, and I was sitting, at, uh, sitting in the seat, and, and I began to realize, you know, I get it. I get it. And what happens is they said, you know, our focus for the Sunday morning service is the lost. It's not the church person. It's the lost. What had Dr. Jacobs told us time and time again? You have a bird's nest on the ground. You come in, you sit down, I feed you a, a great word, and then you go out. And that's true. And I think it's exciting because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, listen, when we have the fivefold ministry that's ministered to us, and it says, we mature so that we do the work of the ministry. So we've had 30 years of establishing a strong foundation at Church on the Rock. And God has now said, you've arrived. It's time now for the next step, which is instead of us just coming and sitting and receiving, it's time for us to come and us to be doing the work of the ministry. You know, we all like promotion. We all like to be told, hey, you're stepping up into a new level, but it means change. So instead of me just being able to come and sit and receive now, it's time for me to come and use the 20 or 30 or 10 or 5 years of impartations I've gotten to now help minister to somebody else, to now help do something for somebody else, to be a part of a life group and help or assist in the pastoring of the flock. Isn't that what we want? We all want to mature. We all want to grow. We all want to do something different. Well, if that's the case and that's what we want, God's saying, it's happened. It's happened. You've, you've gotten there. You've arrived. You're, you're at your promotion, but we have to make the decision, okay, am I going to do it? Remember, it says a great and effectual door is open to you and there are many adversaries. Well, one of the adversaries is confusion because of change. A lot of times our greatest enemies are ourselves. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. Well, the, the, the great thing about the Bible is it has an answer for pretty much everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, in the Amplified, that you read through, it talks about love. It says, love doesn't seek its own way. But I like, wait, stop. What would you say? I. Love doesn't seek its own way. If it's about me and I and what I like and what I want, is that love? 
It's more love for me than the lost. Well, that's not love at all. So when you have transition and when you have change, it can be uncomfortable, but it's always because there's something better on the other side. But I'm used to doing it this way. Well, wait, wait, wait. What's being asked of you? Is it unscriptural? No. Unethical, immoral, illegal? No. Then what's, what's the issue? Dr. Dufresne would always say, we have to change our methods. We have to change our methodology. We have to change our methodology. You guys remember him saying that? He'd come and say it all the time. What's your methodology? Just how you do stuff. You don't change the word. You don't change the message. You just change how you do things. We're just going to do it differently. We're going to change things up. What's that mean? I don't know. That doesn't come to me. I just help. And listen, for those of us who are um, more seasoned, I guess I could say seasoned saints, those of us who used to be land sharks, <laughs> never make the mistake in that season of feeling as if I'm left out. I'm passed by. I don't have anything to offer. This is a, a young church. Well, no, it's a generational church. Because I've used this example, but it's a perfect example. We've got Bruce here. Bruce, how old are you? 24. I'm 48. Am I 48? Oh, my lanes, I'm 49. Well, look at there. <laughs> and listen, it's not that my mind's going. I just had to get a little help, all right? You people settle down for crying out loud. So you've got Bruce that's 24, you've got me that's 49. Listen, I've come to the realization that I'm a rut person. I can get stuck doing things the same way I've always done them, and I can miss good stuff. Dr. Summerall said, I've lost all my friends four or five times over because I went with God when he made changes. They didn't understand. They didn't like it. They were comfortable when they were. They wouldn't make the change, but he always stayed current with God when God made changes. So I understand, hey, there's a passion that this younger generation has that I I really don't have that like I used to. There's a willingness to change that they have that I I need to do a better job of. Because as we get older, we can get comfortable. At least I know I can. You know, Dr. Jacobs talks about he didn't want to get a rocking chair set on the porch. I think that sounds pretty cool. (laughs) You know, eat a s'more and sit in a rocking chair on the porch, you know. So I, I, I realize that as, that as I've gotten older, I've just gotten used to doing things a certain way. Listen, those of you who work every day, you probably have a certain routine you go through every day in the morning. I eat at a certain time during my itinerary of the morning. I wash at a certain time. I do certain things. Some of you put on your clothes the same way. Some of you in the shower, you wash your body the same way every time just to make sure you don't miss any parts. We are routine people. That is human nature. To get in a routine, to get, you know, you probably drive the same way to work every day. You drive home the same way. Some of you may go to get a coffee and you get the same coffee drink all the time. We just do things that way over and over and over again. And one thing that the younger generation does is they're willing to change it up because they say, hey, this is new, this is different, let's try this. On the flip side of that, the young people Lack brains sometimes. <laughs> they like wisdom and understanding in things. There's something to be said for somebody who's lived 30 more years of life. It's like, well, wait a second. Have we considered this? Well, no, I didn't think about that. So it's not a matter of you guys know all the cool, hip stuff. Just do it. It's like, hey, by the way, did you think of paying the light bill? Anybody think of that? 
we got a budget. That's important. Anybody, anybody think about the budget? We're going we're gonna to have activity. We're going to get $15,000 worth of inflatables, and it'll be great. Yeah, we can't make the house payment if we get $15,000 worth of inflation. Anybody think of that? So there is a wisdom that we need from people who've been to God. You remember God said to Lester Summerall when he was, what, 77 years old, God asked him to start feed the hungry or feed the children. And Dr. Summerall said, I don't want to do that. Get some younger guy. He said, hey, I just don't got you where I can use you. E.W. Kenyon didn't start writing books until he was, what, in his 60s? And then think of what he did after that. Our greater years, our later years should be our best, our greater. And that's part of that confusion. That's part of that lie the devil tries to tell you, well, your time is over. Your time at the church being involved is gone. Well, you don't really have anything to offer. Well, you don't know. You're exactly who we need. You have exactly what we want. And listen, I say we, you, but, but that's me too because there's something to be said for people. Well, Dr. Jacob said it this way. The older you get in the things of God, the more valuable you become. And that's why the devil fights us so hard, those of us who are 50 and up, because he wants you to think you don't have anything to offer when you have so much to offer, so much wisdom, so much understanding, so many impartations, so much, so much prayer time, so much time developing and honing your faith. Because, listen, there's cool stuff out there and hip stuff out there, and that's great. But, listen, this is a spiritual thing. It's not just a natural thing. And that's what we need to remember. Because I sense sometimes people who, who have been here for a while, like myself, and, and who are a little older like I am, we can think, well, we're, we're just not as important. You become, the older you get, the more important you become to the things of God. Because that's where you get accuracy. That's where you get that. That's where you're able to get things done. And who's going to train somebody if we all decide, I'm done? I'm just going to walk away. I'm finished with it. People trained us, yeah. That's one of the things God, it says about Joshua. It said when Joshua's generation passed away, it said there arose a generation that didn't know God nor the works he had done. Joshua got into the promised land. That's great, but he didn't have a successor. He failed. He failed because he didn't have anybody after him who could carry it on. He didn't have anybody that had been trained up, anybody that had seen those things take place. You know, Joshua's generation, they were in the wilderness. They saw the miracles. They had been in Egypt. They knew what had happened. But they'd gotten to a place where they were comfortable, and they stopped pushing for that kind of thing. And they didn't enjoy it. So God had to come in and God had to do some, he had to rework some things. He had to change some things. There had to be a transition so that there then arose a generation that did know God and the supernatural things he had done. So it's not about what we do, it's why we do it. But what are we going to do? Well, wait, 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 the, the what isn't important. Why are we doing that? The precious fruit of the earth, that's why. The what's no big deal then. Why are we doing it? To reach people. We're doing it to reach people. The church isn't just for the churched. The church is for the lost. And if all we do is treat the church like it's just the church, and we're not doing anything to take what we've got to reach anybody else, 
then are we doing what the church is supposed to be doing? Well, no, the answer is no to that. And because we do have that strong foundation, and listen, that's the thing. We have to have that. We have to have had, and there's nothing wrong with the way that we've done things. That had to be done, and it had to be done that way, because if you don't have a solid foundation for the next step in Church on the Rock, we're not going to be able to handle what's going on, because Pastor Jordan and Pastor Lauren, if they didn't have strong believers already here, They'd have a church full of babies, and you'd never be able to accomplish anything. But now they have people, and they say, hey, we trust these people. Why don't you help counsel? Why don't some of you younger married people help counsel some of these younger married people who don't know what it means to be married? Why don't you who you're seasoned in prayer, why don't you take this prayer assignment for us? Because we know you've been doing it for 20 years. Hey, you people who know how to go to the hospital and, and visit someone and minister to them, why don't you go and take care of that? Because, because you know, uh, w- most of us grew up, my time, most of us grew up during a season when there was a strong central figure in the ministry and everything revolved around that minister. And what we're starting to see now in ministries is those people are dying and those ministries aren't as effective as they used to be. Because there wasn't a successor. And, and we've been kind of hesitant. Well, I don't know if I should do that because of, in our case, Dr. Jacobs. But Pastor Jordan says, it's a season now where I'm going to start asking you to do some of the work of the ministry. Because you've grown to a place where you can handle it. And then we get to go do it. I think it's cool. I'm excited about it. I would hate for him to come to come to come to me. And, well, go come to Miss Becky. Miss Becky, could you please go out and do this for me? Because I, I'd like you to do it. You ought to be. Hey, they trust me, but then they turn to me and say, "Brother Sean, why don't why don't you just come and continue to sit?" <laughs> oh my, nothing wrong with coming and sitting, but it's great when you get to do something with what you've been sitting all those years receiving, and give out. Amen. So that's the thing with transition. We have it in our natural lives constantly. We see that God's doing new things, and he's asking, will you not know it? Dr. Dufresne, if you remember, he gave that, had that prophecy about people sitting in a boat in a dry riverbed, and they're rowing, 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 and they're saying, oh, look, the glory, the glory, the glory, but it wasn't the glory. It was just the dust that was being stirred up from the road traditions. There was no water in the river. Oh, look, 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 this is great, this is great. And he said, what happens is a lot of those groups that used to move with the Spirit of God refuse to continue doing it, and they turn into a denomination, and they mistake that dust cloud for the glory, and they can't understand why aren't we growing, why aren't we moving, why aren't we producing like we used to, because you missed the turn. You've become a denomination rather than just following God. And that's why denominations are created. They say, wait, 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 we're doing something different. Wait, but we like... Our way of doing it. Well, that's fine. You can stick your plant, stick your flag in the ground, and this is who we are. It's not about who we are. It's why we do it. To reach people. And as people change, we have to change. We have to change the way we think. Most of us grew up in a generation where most people went to church. They don't now. They don't now. We grew up where most people knew about God and the Bible, and they had some level of respect for God. It's not that way anymore. People just don't know. And listen, that, that can affect everything. That can affect everything. Listen, you're going to have a hard time, in many instances, getting someone who is unchurched to come sit in a two, two-and-a-half-hour service. Because they usually won't come and sit, in a ser- set, set for something like that unless they're court-ordered to do so, <laughs> or you're paying them to do it. Unless it's like a movie. 
That's just something you have to think about. I mean, why would I? We have no problem coming and sitting in a service that's two and a half hours because we're the church. We're Christians. We're used to it. But you put someone who knows nothing about God in the service, they're like, why is this so long? Why are they lifting their hands? Why did that woman over there scream? <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> why did that little kid just run around the church? This is an undisciplined church we need to leave. See, we know these things, but people who aren't used to it, the, they don't know. Why did they fall down? Why is he even laying his hands on them? What's he mean? Did you feel that? He didn't even touch them. This place is creepy. <laughs> See, but we're so used to being a church full of churched people, we don't realize sometimes just our normal conversation, people who aren't familiar with this are like, what? What are they talking? And people walk out and say, oh, that was a good word. Praise the Lord, that's a good word. And the person who doesn't understand is like, I didn't understand a thing they said. How's that a good service? I'm more confused than I've ever been. Did you go to that church up there? Yeah, they spoke like, I don't know, Persian and fell down. I don't know what, and wiggled on the ground. It's weird. But that's, but that's what we've been used to. Yet it must change because as more people come in who don't know, they just don't know. And we can't make the mistake of assuming they know if we're a church that's going to reach people who are unchurched. Amen. Just, just sharing my heart a smidge here. And we've been in the Word. We see in the Word where transitions what God does, and God does things differently, and God changes things up. You know, in the Old Testament, they talk about clapping. In the New Testament, they don't talk about clapping. Give the Lord a hand clap. Well, the New Testament doesn't say anything about that. It's not that you're going to go to hell if you clap. Everyone give him praise. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, was that the sin unto death? Can I never get that fixed now? <laughs> so there are, there, there, there are just things to consider. If, if it's a change and it doesn't change the word, what's the big deal? There are people who'd be shocked. We have guitars on the platform. You guys have, you play piano? Is it real or is it electronic? Well, it's a keyboard. Well, what kind of keyboard? Well, it's an electronic keyboard. Oh, so it's not real. No. Heretic. <laughs> we giggle, but there are people who do. They take it out to that, that far. They, 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 they've whittled down the redemptive work of Jesus to three inches of hair. Can't go to heaven. Why? Hair's too long. Hair's too long. Oh, my lands. Is that, is that Estee Lauder you're wearing? Harlot. <laughs> we laugh and people giggle about it, but it's tradition. It's, tradi it's just stuff that's passed down. has nothing in the world to do with the word. Nothing to do with the word. It's just the way we've always done it. Now, I'm, I'm probably never, ever going to stand up here in skinny jeans unless I gain weight. My regular classic fit becomes skinny jeans. <laughs> Just saying. Probably, it's probably never going to happen. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> you know. And, and, and that's fine. It doesn't mean, it, and, and that's where people get into get in trouble is they, they try to be something they're not. Don't just be who you are, but understand everybody's not you. So there may be somebody sometime who comes to our church and they preach and they don't have on a tie. Oh, my lands. 
Philistine. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know. Doesn't matter to me. I just want to do what God wants done to reach our community, to do things differently. What's doctor always tell us? The definition of stupidity is continuing to do the same thing the same way, expecting to get different results. Listen, if we're not growing, we've got to change. What we're doing ain't getting it. We've grown internally, but we've not reached out and grown numerically. It's not, it's not solely about the numbers, but listen, you can't tell me it's not about the numbers because Jesus was about the numbers. If numbers weren't important, they wouldn't be in the Bible. 3,000 were saved. Well, why do we need to know that? Because 3,000 were saved. It's important to know. It's important to follow up. It's important to let people know that we care about them. So we need to keep track of that. How many people got saved? Oh, five, 15. I don't really know. Well, then you're not going to follow up with them. What's the be- what benefit was that? Amen. So change is good. And then you may be thinking, well, I'd like deeper. I want something deep. Well, you've been here for 30 years. Well, you just want to know more so you won't do that too? <laughs> what does Pastor Nancy say? She said it's not the, it's the little things that trip us up. If we just do the little things, it's, it's what, not what you know, but, but I think she also said, you know, it's the little things. It's not the big things. Sometimes we come and we're like, I want a big revelation, a big one. It's a big revelation. Just talk right. Here's another. Here's another. Here's one of the love people. <laughs> See, it's the things we know. God didn't make it hard. It said it's the simplicity. The simplicity. And, and like I said, and we could get together and do different things. You know, if the service, Sunday morning services are focused toward the lost, they may be a little different, but that doesn't mean there won't be other opportunities for people who think they want to get deeper. But of course, if I've been here, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, I ought to be able to study my Bible and already know how to get deeper. You know what I mean? When, when, when Chloe was little, I changed her diaper. If I have to change her diaper tomorrow, something's wrong. Actually, she doesn't wear a diaper. Do you? Okay. As we grow, there's just different experts. Hey, as you grow up, there's a little more responsibility. I've been having the discussion with Samuel. Samuel wants a goat. A baby goat, because where we're moving out on the farm, he wants a baby a goat. I'm like, listen, bro, until you can clean your room, a, a, goat, a goat is nowhere in your ledger. That ain't happening. You need to clean your room. That pile of dirty clothes there, that's not going to get you no goat. But once we prove that we can handle a level of responsibility, then we can take care of some of this stuff. Well, I'd like to, you know, focus in on this a little more. Well, study it. Talk to somebody else in the church, and you guys get together. Study it together. You girls get together. Study together. Maybe that's something a life group can take on. You know, life groups are a great opportunity to do those sorts of things. Amen. But, but I, I, again, Pastor Lauren, thank you for letting me teach this morning on transition. It's just important because I think there have been questions that some people have had, and it's important to talk about, and I hope that we've been able to talk about some of that today. But we can clearly see transitions throughout the Bible. We see that transition is a constant. And we also see, and again, I always go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love doesn't seek its own way. So you run into a situation where you're like, well, I like the way we used to. You started with the phrase I, the word I. You're thinking about you. How does that help the lost? How does that help someone other than myself? 
how, does, how is that enticing to someone who doesn't know Jesus? It's not about me or what I like or what I think or any of that. It's about someone, it's about the lost. It's about others. It's about other people. Amen. Praise God forever. I think that's all, Pastor Lauren. Anything to add or I am done. That's Elphine. Let me read this verse again before we finish, Pastor Di. Anything, ma'am? No? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. The end of something is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. Keep your temper under control. It is foolish to harbor a grudge. Never ask, oh, why were things so much better in the old days? It's not an intelligent question. Why is it not an intelligent question? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights and its own way. For it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy, or fretful, or resentful. Don't be fretful about change. Don't be fretful about change. Everybody has a place, everybody has a part. It's a critical part to what we need to do. Don't look at someone that dresses different than you, or talks different than you, or thinks different than you, and say, oh, that's wrong. No, find out, why do you think that way? Why do you dress that way? Why do you act that way? Why did you do that? Have a conversation. Where the church, have a conversation. You know, there's a, there's a, there are a lot of things that I've learned talking to some of these younger dudes on these trips. And hopefully there's something they've learned from me as we've gone on these trips and been able to talk and hang out and do different things together. It's exciting. Amen? Well, praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for letting us be a part of your church. We thank us for your anointing. We thank you for all of the things that you're doing for all of the things that we've received from Dr. Jacobs and Pastor Don over the years and will continue to receive. We thank you that they've put us in a place where we can now help to reach the lost, a place where we can help be a strong foundation in the church, a place, Father God, where we can get into the place of greater glory that you have for us. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you. I speak your blessing over my brothers and sisters as they head home today. And thank you for the angels that go with them to guard them and protect them as they go about their week. I thank you for favor on their jobs. I thank you for raises. I thank you for discounts and dividends. I thank you for rebates and checks in the mail. I thank you for sales, Father God, with supernatural discounts. We just thank because you want us to enjoy. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hey, if you see somebody you've never spoken to, go talk to them. Don't talk to the same old, same old.